Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call. Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Uh, yeah, it man. just kind of cut off. That it's was fantastic. Right. Well, like, Fucking you know, Mike said, Mike said <laughs> noodles. We to pull back the curtain for you. Stop dying, noodles. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Hey. I'm going to try. So, new, uh, <laughs> stop, stop dying, boys. So, noodles from the offspring is with us today. Jesus, we're so unprofessional. We should have had like Every- offspring music <laughs> and then intro the guy and be like K Rock. I, I love it. I think it's great. I, I like, I'm kind of, I see where that one guy was coming from, though, when he said, I can't believe these guys are adults. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fuck that guy, man. <laughs> totally <laughs> fuck that guy. Fuck you that know guy. what the yeah. that people do, the mistake that people have been making the last year of my life in attacking me, saying they can't believe this middle-aged man, this middle-aged man, I just found out I'm not middle-aged, I'm elderly. I'm 50. Oh, dude. <laughs> They don't even know what they're talking about. I'm not middle-aged adolescent. I'm an elderly adolescent. (laughs) This whole coronavirus thing has made me feel ancient all of a sudden. Have you guys felt that at all or or no? Yeah. That's how I found out that I'm elderly. Because the elderly thing, they lowered the thing of, of how, you know, Dr. Drew's the one who told me I was elderly. So he said, well, you're in, the, you're in the, that liver immune compromised system, and then you're in the elderly system. I said, watch what you're saying, dude. I'm 59. <laughs> and he goes, 59, 60, they've lowered elderly to 60, so you're basically elderly. And I was like, oh, my God. And, oh, and then, Why you know, we? you've been around rock and roll forever. I, I always compare myself to other musician friends. I'm like, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are approaching elderly. Everyone, totally, yeah. Like, yeah. Social D is elderly. Like, yeah. Crazy. Punk rock wasn't supposed to last this long. I, yeah. I mean, my favorite bands are, you know, 60s, you know. It's <laughs> like X, TSOL, you know. They're all like right around there, right? Late 50s, almost 60. I think they're 29. I think TSOL are 29. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, we can get into who's holding up good. You know, the fact is, Xine looks about the same as she did in 1980. I mean, she's like timeless. Gibby Haynes is kind of timeless. There's certain people that are that look the same as they always have. The damned look the you same. Know, they, I know that you listen because we razzed Chuck a little bit about you, you that, that you listen and stuff. But I've always wanted to ask, and I always ask fans that had these. Like, I know what that three weeks of your guy's life was when you made that record and it was on Epitaph and you were just a regular Epitaph band, which is like a family, which is like, you know, it's like Brett before he was called Sir Brett. It was the same bands that he liked and he produced them at West Beach and it was just cool. It was like a home for wayward, talented people. Right. Absolutely, and, and and it really did feel like a you know, kind of like a brotherhood, you know, yeah. all those bands, Rancid, Pennywise, No Effects. Then you guys made a record that changed the whole fucking world. You and Green Day. It was just like a new <laughs> version of the of the Chili Peppers and Jane's Addictions. Like 
all of a sudden, this little band that's our neighborhood band that plays the, 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 that you can see all the time, all of a sudden, you right. were making a record, and the whole world heard it. All at one time within like three weeks. I remember, because yeah. that again, I have a 33-year-old son who was 12 years old at that time. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so that shit was playing yeah. in my house 24 hours a day. And I just always wonder, when you were making that record, the, the Keep It Separated, when you were making it, did you know, like, God, this could be a big thing? Absolutely not. I mean, it was punk rock. So punk rock was never going to get big, you know? So we were hoping, uh, you know, it, it, Smash was our third record. Ignition was the one before. And it, it had sold about 40,000 copies when we started That's recording. Right. That's how it always was. So, the Chili yeah. Peppers record, record before Blood Sugar Sex Magic was Uplift Mofo. It sold less than the record before. I think it sold like 50,000 copies. All right. Yeah, and I had the first record. I didn't buy the second one. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But then all of a sudden you're selling 20 million copies. It's yeah, it was it was crazy. And, you know, it you know, I was, what, 32 years old at the time. So I wasn't a kid, but it was heady. You know, it, it was, you know, really kind of a, a trippy time. And what did you know, I, I was scared to death. What does this mean, you know, for me? But at the same time, so exhilarated. It was just really an exciting time, you know. Right. And it was good music and it did bring punk rock to the world. I mean, well, we tried to we tried to definitely, you know, uh, give give props to all the bands that came before us that that we loved you know what were the bands that you liked the most it seems to me tsol would be one bad religion would be one uh yeah tsol for sure adolescents vandals uh dead kennedys uh the ramones of course um you know really a lot of the the local california bands yeah, the adolescents don't get their due how fucking great they are. Like, one of the 100 greatest punk rock songs ever. And you're talking about in the category of The Clash, The Sex Pistols, yeah. Jam. is In that category is, is Amoeba by the adolescents. It's one, of the, it's one of the greatest. So, local bands, did you ever see The Simple Tones? Never saw the Simple Tones. I had the Beach Boulevard record and, and loved it. Of course, that record was huge. Loved that record. Loved the crowd. Um, yeah, but I never I, did see him live. You know what's funny is the Beach Boulevard record is a staple for everyone I know. But it, it yeah. wasn't, I think, I think we bought all the copies here locally. You don't think it went out? You don't think it went out anywhere else? Uh, you know what? The copy I have on CD now is from Germany, but it's a strange copy. And I, I don't I don't think a lot of people outside of Southern California, we had a very, especially, you know, it was a very insulated little thing happening. Well, Posh Boy, I was working with Posh Boy when that came out. So he didn't want it to be big because then he knew the rec the bands would come asking him for money. So every right. time, I swear <laughs> to God, the guy was... I believe he, it. He, so he was a crony of Rodney Bingenheimer's, and I hung out with Rodney Bingenheimer when I was like 18, 19, 20 years old. And, and Poshua was always around. I'd talk about Beast Boulevard, and he would be like, well, do you want some copies? And you can just... He wanted to give 25... <laughs> he'd give you like a box of 25, and you could go sell it to a record store you know, wow. and, money and then give him back money because he didn't want it going through him or something. He was like a, 
he held, he held that record back. I think that record would have been huge, like Group Sex was by the Sex Pistols. But Poshboy was nervous that it visually sell too much, so that the bands would come and ask him for money. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that he was a very good uh, or very ethical businessman. I'm not. You know, I've, I've heard. I've heard stories. So didn't he disappear? He didn't nice. he? I'm sure he's still alive. He's a really sweet guy, and he loves music. He just had this mentality of like, listen, you're a band that would never even get to go in a recording studio, and I'm going to give you fifteen hundred bucks to go do that, and then I'll give you five grand or something like that. I think that was the all idea, right, right. And yeah, I'm who, not... knew, who knew it was going to be the biggest thing that ever hit Los Angeles? Right. Yeah, you know, and I, yeah, I I think punk rock should have been bigger than it was. You know, even back then, that record's great. So many bands didn't get their due. Group bands sex. like adolescents. What about Group Sex? Is going to come up on its fiftieth? I think it's. No, it's 40th anniversary of group sex this year. Yeah, they're getting together and doing shows, right? The original guys? Yeah, nobody's playing any shows now. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> I keep forgetting. I like, yep. to think, I like to think this is all behind us, but it's just getting started. Wait for this. I keep joking with Keith that he needs to stay alive for five and a half more years. Because in five and a half more years, it will be Black Flag's 50th anniversary. Oh, man. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah, God. Uh, God bless them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's rad. And, and like you said, you know, we've, we've done some shows with like Fear, Lee Ving's up there. You know, they're putting on great shows. We played with X last year. Phenomenal. Um, T.S. Wells do, doing their 40th uh, anniversary tour and, you know, we're. Uh, and great, just killing it every night. We actually uh, took our singer's private jet and flew up to. This is terrible. This is so not punk rock. <laughs> we we filled. We we brought a bunch of our buddies, took our singer's private jet, and went and saw him play. I think it was in Fresno this year. We've done. We went and saw him play in Bakersfield once too. Uh, but this year, just a f couple months ago, we went to Fresno. X is having though. It's the last. I mean, I went and saw them when they were doing those albums at the observatory, and I saw them when those albums came out. They're better now than they were then. They're better musicians. Mm, yeah. They all sound better. They sing better. But they went through a period where they weren't, they weren't X, right? So they were this magical right. explosion from like 79 to 84. And then, you know, Billy Zoom quit. And then they had Tony Gilkerson. And then they made right. these records that were kind of produced. And then they kind of didn't do anything. And that now they are better than they ever were. And and those records are so good. I, so I went great. to the night of More Fun in the New World. It was so fucking good, that record. So, so great. All, yeah, all, the first four records are just phenomenal all the way through. I love those records. Mike Mart uh, is very intimate with the X. He was around the X band. Do you want to say something? <laughs> the X band. The X band. <laughs> Well, when John Dell wanted to move on from X, he kind of buddy buddied with Mike. So Mike was there for the for the what is it called the 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 wilderness years of John Dell. <laughs> John produced a bunch of albums, like you know the well. I think he produced uh, one Texan Horseheads album. I can't he hear you at all, Mike Mart. I don't know what you're talking about. My microphone. That's because you don't have everybody else can hear me, right? 
<laughs> yeah, I can hear you. Because <laughs> you don't have some fucking headphones, man. Because <laughs> you have the simplest of like earbuds. <laughs> but Bob does have. Let's not let's not pick on Bob. He does have headphones. They're just they just don't work. <laughs> they look cool though. I'm elderly. You stop. <laughs> <laughs> you're not elderly until you're 60s. 60, 60 to 80 Bob, is so young John old. John produced if you'll remember produced Stormy Weather. I know. That was that was probably he's probably he was probably thinking, is this what my life has come to? Yeah. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I knew that Brett produced the first record. I didn't know that, that John Doe did one. That's great. Yeah, John Doe produced the second one. He's the nicest guy and in the world, I think. He is the nicest guy. Yeah. And they nice. are the greatest band. I wish they would just do that. I, I tell a lot of bands, like, you know, I, I counsel a lot of bands, Noodles. I don't know if you, you know that I've transitioned out of the music world into the uh, therapeutic community. So uh, now but- I'm a, <laughs> I'm a therapist. <laughs> and I therapize, uh, therapeutize a lot of musicians. <laughs> that's, that's the word. Therapeutize. <laughs> Sounds like so you know a like, lot about massage or something. I don't know. <laughs> no. So I have worked with a lot of musicians, and a lot of times, you know, being a music fan first, a therapist second, uh, you know, uh, I my fandom gets in the way. So, and usually it's people that their best worker behind them. Let's let's face it. Most people's best worker behind them. My best work is behind me. I'm never gonna write a song as good as my boy. Ever. Ever. I wrote that uh, in a drunken stupor when I was twenty six years old. Right? So all right. Most, people's, most people's best albums are behind them. Most people's greatest songs are behind them. And that's happened a lot. So as I grow in this relationship with people, I start emphasizing their great records, right? Right. And you can feel out musicians if they're defensive and they try to defend other albums like they're better than the ones, the hit ones, or the ones that people love. Or the in some cases, some of the people I've counseled, the ones that are literally legendary top 100 albums of all time, they'll say, well, that's not that good. People really come to see the new stuff. And I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> If they do, they're fucking stupid, and you shouldn't play that shit for them. You should play. <laughs> uh, well, while we're on the, the topic, I would like to say that, that we've got a new record coming out this year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I hear it's their best work. Yet. And it's the best one. Uh, no, yeah, we don't know now. We don't know what we're gonna do. I mean, we we don't even we the, we haven't even signed on the dotted line yet with a with a label. We're still working on. We don't know. And now you know we can't go out and tour in support of it. We actually do have a record that's that's done. It's in the can and ready to go but don't know what to do with it now you know do you put out records in the middle of a pandemic uh so we're you know i think i think we have to put something out you know now, the fans mike, it's been too is, long is mike garno still managing you guys uh jim garno yeah no jim he's garno. not actually he he retired uh the year before yeah, last goddamn right he did he's getting so, out while the getting's good yeah right he sure did <laughs> so yeah um we're, we're that would be great that was the greatest moment when we had this band, the, uh, Lindy Getz. He managed all of us in the 80s and 90s, right? right? And so at a certain point, the Chili Peppers had gotten where they had gotten, and Candlebox was kind of waning, and uh, 
like Falling Sponsor didn't exist, and he managed a couple other bands. And finally, I just think he thought, like, you know what? I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. What a great, what a great realization for a manager. Like, I really don't have to have people calling me for duct tape or complaining or lying to me about drugs or asking for advances or yelling at me because of their records. I really don't need this anymore. Yeah, yeah. So there's a story. Totally. There's a story about the the about when Thelonious Monster was being managed by Lindy Getz, and it's um they the Chili Peppers couldn't make this like spring break thing up in Montana, Helena, oh, Montana. Yeah, where you Were you in the band then, Mike? Yes, I was. So there was this there was uh there was this gig wait, up in Helena, wait, Montana wait, at the spring you, you break. You had this happen to you before before that album, I'll tell and, you. Listen to and this. And they got no. in touch with Lindy and they're like, We need the Chili Peppers and he goes, I, the Chili Peppers can't do it. But I got a band that's just like the Chili Peppers. They're just as good as the Chili Peppers. <laughs> you know, it was oh, it, it, <laughs> so we go up there and and they put us in the middle of this fucking rodeo. Wait a minute, though, you're not telling the point. They, the the school didn't really tell the the students for the spring break that the Chili Peppers weren't playing. So half of them thought the Chili uh, Peppers were playing at spring break. Oh my god, it was oh, a disaster. Man. And we're walking into that, buddy. So we started yeah. playing. Oh, we're in the yeah. middle of this fucking horseshit rodeo, like stadium, literally in the stage in the middle of a you know a, a round ring where they fucking yeah. run horses around and they poop all over the place and uh yeah, they and, do the barrel and all the people yeah. are there and they're like we're the chili peppers <laughs> so we've we done start- oh, we've done fairgrounds like that and, and what's what's great is when they decide to move the cattle because they got apparently they got to move them every so often so in the middle of this show the cattle are going underneath the stage and you can just smell it like in the yeah. middle of your set. Like, <laughs> what? So we ended up, they, they ended up booing us and, uh, and almost, uh, you know, almost rushing the stage. So we just played, we just started playing Sweet Home Alabama and Freebird. We played You Two, I Will Follow. We started too, playing covers. We the You Two <laughs> fandom in the and house. We, like well, half the musicians of them don't know this. So we didn't really know how to play You Two, but we used to always, if, ever, if I could ever sense, and and you guys are musicians, so you know you get that sense that you a U two cover right now would really help us, right? <laughs> so, okay. So what, okay. We, so, yeah. so what we would do when you got a crowd of people hating you? So what we would do is play Public Image Theme, which we did know how to play really good. Right. And I would just sing. If you walk away, walk away, I will follow over top of the public image theme. And it worked perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. I got a, I got a great, uh, well, I think it's a great uh, Thelonious Monster story. I saw you play right around the corner from here. I had, uh, it was Night Moves and then it was Club 5902. Nice. Um, right. For you a short period of time. Uh, I grew up in Garden Grove, actually. So, but I live down here in Sunset Beach, uh, where Mike is from, right? Yeah, I grew up there. So, yeah, so I, I live here now. Uh, so, not, I mean, I used to ride my bike down here when I was a kid. Um, but so I grew up in Garden Grove. I don't know where I was living at the time, but you guys were playing night moves. Uh, and so I went to see you play. And Bob, you, you had relapsed that day, I think. Do you remember <laughs> the show? Huntington Beach will do that to you. Yeah, right. <laughs> fucking Orange down. County. You I were, hate that yeah, place. I, I mean, you were just drinking it. You know, I don't. Yeah, uh, I'm sure crazy. it probably turned into something worse later. But you were just drinking but at that point. At that point, I did not believe that crack was coming. I was thoroughly convinced that I'm only going to drink tonight. Start being sober tomorrow. 
right. A beer, beer is the beer is a strong attraction. I'll tell you. And I think that's why you're drinking beer. And you said, uh, you said I've been sober for four months. This is the first time I've drank in four months, and I don't want to tell anyone how to live their life. And then, and then you went on to uh, talk about how great being drunk is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good God! Yeah, it was a it was a fun show. I mean, you guys were actually really, you know, everyone. It, it was a great show. I saw you guys there, and I saw you guys. Do you remember Big John's? It was a pool hall in Fullerton. Yeah, yeah, I think they do. Yeah, I saw you guys there as well. So, that wasn't a very good venue that well, place. Night moves. I when I was in high school, I lived right around the corner from Night Moves. That's that. That's at what is it? What uh, Warner, Warner, Warner and Springdale. Springdale. Yeah, yep. there's a super, there's a supermarket there or something. And a, uh, right? there's a Del Taco that's been there for a hundred years. The Del yeah, Taco. Yeah. It used to be a Noggles, right? Now it's right, a Del it Taco. Noggles, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love Noggles. Oh my god. Yeah, that was a late so, night. It must. So Big so John's. I remember Big John's a little bit. It was a shithole. Yeah, we were supposed to play there once, but we, it was. Like they had a bunch of bikers, the security guys, and, right. and uh, they roughed up one of our friends. It was we we worked out a deal. It was going to be an all ages show, even though usually it was an overage venue, like over twenty one venue. And they they roughed up one of our friends, like a sixteen year old, and just kind of turned into this gnarly brawl with the bikers. So we kind of ran away scared. So yeah. <laughs> good move. Never did never did get to play there. Well, there was there was some wild nineties shows in Orange County. I remember we played at. The Disneyland Hilton Hotel Ugh. in the ballroom with Sublime when date rape was popular. Wow. And it was just like, what the fuck are all these little punk kids doing in a Hilton Hotel <laughs> ballroom at Disneyland? But that's the way Orange County was. There really was no real venues to play. There was only right. the Golden Bear and then it. Then it became that sleazy mall golden bear. I could just never get over that. No, that I wasn't the same. No. I saw the greatest musicians in the world in the original golden bear. I saw Peter Gabriel's first show in America wow. when his solo album came out. I saw Blondie there. I saw Blondie I saw there. E Pop there. I saw Captain Beefheart there. I, it was like, how could they get rid of that building? It just shows you Huntington Beach lacks its respect for architecture, <laughs> historical reference, anything <laughs> human. As long as they can build a big mall with a surfer guy. I know. I can't believe the here. surf theaters, they tore it down. I just can't believe it. Yeah. Still, well, day, the surf theater wasn't much. What was uh, the arcade? There was an arcade down on Main Street there. there right? There was yeah. an arcade under the pier. Under the pier. Okay. And you, know who right. lived, you know who lived in the condos next to under the pier? The poor man from K-Rock. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. poor man used to live in those condos. <laughs> How funny. I used to like going over there because there was always like, Poor man, girls there. There, and you know how he, he used to like host and Pico Rivera like wet T-shirt contests and stuff. Oh, yeah. Poor man. What, where is poor man? Where is that guy at? He's alive. He's, yeah, he's on. A, he's on an AM, a local AM station now. He still does a show. He just um, did a thing with Jack. There should be a Huntington Beach Walk of Fame, and that dude should be on it. Well, I know, you know, Kevin and Bean, uh, Kevin, when Kevin left, it was his last show, and Poor Man called in. Bean actually got him fired from K-Rock because Poor Man took a bunch of people over to Bean's house, like, had him, yeah, yeah, show, yeah. gave his address yeah. up. Oh, it's not, not I, cool. He's, he's a crazy guy, but 
But yeah. let me tell you the history of K-Rock. It, when I was 17, you could go to K-Rock and just walk in the studio. And there was a guy named Freddie Snakeskin, and he would just be DJing. And you could drink beer in the studio, and just people would hang out in the hallways. It was in a dental office in Pasadena. It was That's the right. thing ever. That's right. I follow uh, Freddie on on Twitter. He's he's still Where around. Is he now? I don't know what he's doing, but he's on Twitter. Doesn't aren't, aren't they part of that like K Rock Two? That's like a an internet where it's like Swedish Eagle and a bunch of old people like that. Oh, I don't know. That'd be rad. Elderly people like me. <laughs> no, not that old. Oh my God, no. So, so. <laughs> So you got to understand, Freddie Snakeskin and Rob Ritter, Rob Graves, the bass player of Thelonious Monster and Gun, right. and Don Bowles, the drummer of the Germs and 45 Grave and so many bands. Right. They all grew up and knew each other from, I think it's like Arizona or where is it? Albuquerque, New Mexico or something. They all oh, wow. together and they used to have a, a underground bootleg radio station that, you know, was illegal. And they, and they, they're still with these tapes and Don Bowles has the tapes and I had one of them. They did a whole thing acting like a top 40 radio station. And it was super Satan weekend, all songs about the devil from the devil for you now coming. And they had fake commercials and it was just like (laughs) driving on ice. I would totally listen to that. I would totally listen to that. (laughs) Yeah, but think of the families that are just looking for a new station driving on I-40. That's super Satan weekend. (laughs) Beautiful. That's beautiful. The hills have eyes. You know, that's a crazy That's wild. So when you hear, here's another thing. When's the first time you played the Warp Tour? What year? You know what? Well, we did a, a show or one or two shows uh, just where we just kind of happened. Our tour happened to cross paths with them, but we didn't do the actual tour until, to, until 2005. That was the first time we did a tour. No, I, I know. Invented that world. No, uh-uh. so I mean we knew every we you know we knew everybody involved and, and everything, but we didn't actually do it ourselves until yeah until 2005. So who was the first bands of the Warp thing of the Warp tour? Uh, I, remember, I remember Sublime and and um, and no doubt doing it early on, but yeah, I, I, you know, probably those guys, No Effects, Bad Religion, Pennywise, Rancid, um, they were they were always on it. It must be hard for you, and I know you're a great guy because you're friends with Chuck and Mike, and you just seem so humble and wonderful. But it's got to be weird when you walk around the Warp Tour and you hear 19 bands that sound exactly like your band, isn't it weird? Well, the, the bands that I always, I would always get kind of, uh, I don't think they sound like us personally. I can't, I can't see They're it, but, but I know that there's a bunch of bands that very similar sounding, all similar tempo. So I know what you're, what you're saying. That's why I would kind of gravitate towards like flogging Molly on that day or, or Gogol, <laughs> Gogol Bordello, right? You know, Gogol, <laughs> Valiant Thor, Gypsy you know? Punks. I like that stuff. Totally. The last warp tour I went to, I saw Guar. Guar played played at it. Oh, yeah, what? amazing. But I mean, it it is weird because because other punk rock bands I've talked to them, I'm kind of like obsessed with how things became what they became and who thought of what and everything like that. And if you talk to Steve Jones, he just thinks that they were a hybrid of the Ramones and like T Rex and like. 
rock, right. you know, like glam rock, like glam rock and the Ramones. You get the sex. I can right? see that. Yeah. So, so, but then from, from everybody listening to Sex Pistols, what's interesting is you get Joy Division, you get inspired by seeing the Sex Pistols. The Buzzcocks, Joy Division, um, The Clash. I mean, you get all these diverse sounding bands that really changes the way people hear music. But all Steve Jones is playing is basically Mark Bolin riffs or Mick Ronson riffs. The real heavy faster, Dolls riffs. A little faster. Yeah, Dolls, but God, I don't know. Dolls always seem to me to be more rock and rolly, more Chuck Berry. There's no Chuck Berry in the Sex Pistols. Except every lead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the sounds of the songs aren't. I don't know whether it's going Matlock or whatever, but just follow my logic. So this one band is like a nuclear bomb that sets off all these other bands, but none of them sound like that band. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would give it up for the Ramones. I think the Ramones, even before the Sex Pistols, you know, and the Ramones sound like, to me, like 50s doo-wop almost just with breakneck guitars you know yeah, but I, um, I mean i knew of the ramones because i was obsessed with circus magazine and cream magazine but i don't think right. the average american kid was ever going to hear punk rock if it wasn't for the sex pistols i just don't think they would have the media attention to the sex pistols was a whole different category than yeah. the attention this the first ramones album sold six thousand copies and it was almost all, it was all bad attention. You know, I remember them talking about him on the news, like this is going to ruin American, a whole generation of American children. Right. You know, but, but some of us loved it, you know? Yeah. I, I want this. Yeah. And you're right. You know, those, it, the first two records that I got there with punk, you know, I was into the who and the Rolling Stones. I still, you know, love that stuff. And, you know, maybe Jimi Hendrix, but then I got, uh, never mind the bullets, the sex pistols, and then a white vinyl, Dickies EP. Uh, I still am a huge Dickies fan. And those were the two records that changed my life. I went, what is this? It wasn't, you know, my next door neighbor's records. It wasn't my, my cousin's records. These were, these were me. I, this is, this is my music. I love this. So yeah, and it was uh, the Sex Pistols for sure. So then what happened? And then that, that continues to go along all through the through the eighties, really. What I would say the band that influenced Melonious Monster the most was Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs. I wanted to be Top Jimmy. I'm right. just I'm just twenty years younger than him and I, I'm not I can't sing like him. But that image and Jeffrey Lee Pierce and certain things, the things that I was inspired by, Felonious Monster sounds nothing like it. But I'm trying to be it. The Chili Peppers are trying to be Grandmaster Flash and the Furious, the, the, you know, Flash, Grandmaster right. Flash, right? Furious Five. And Jimi Hendrix. So Jimi Hendrix playing guitar in Grandmaster Flash. I was there. That was the design of the sound. That's what they wanted to be. They didn't really and, sound and like Funkadelic. They didn't even know who Funkadelic was, dude. I'm the one that introduced them to it. And the only reason I knew about Funkadelic was from KK Barrett and Tomato to Plenty. So anyways, it goes along, and, and bands are inspired by the bands, but they don't try to sound like them. And then all of a sudden comes your guys' generation, and it really 
it didn't inspire bands that sounded different. It inspired many bands that, that, that plow that same vein. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. Try to inspire people like, hey, man, just do what you want to do. Don't try to be like us. This is this is an absolutely true story. Two people that I know are Offspring fans. One is Ed Sheeran, and the other one is um, well, uh, the country the country that's star um, female. Uh, oh my God, yeah. Underwood, Carrie Underwood. I actually met Carrie her. Underwood? She came to our oh show in, in Nashville. She's a big Offspring fan. So that's cool. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think there was there definitely was a you know a scene happening. A lot of bands sounded similar, you know, and and I, people will point to bands and go, "Man, these guys sound just like you." But you know, I, I know our first record sounds a hell of a lot like like TSOL, <laughs> and uh, we have a song on this new record that sounds like TSOL. So noodles, I got I got to ask you: Was there a conscious effort in the beginning to hide the fact that like Dexter had a PhD in biology and was like really fucking very intelligent? And I mean, early on in the punk rock, did everybody know about that? Uh, we didn't try to hide it, I don't think. But uh, Dexter, like I'm the I'm the guy whose heart is on his sleeve, you know, and and Dexter holds his cards right. a little closer to the chest. Um, so uh, you know, and none of us really have. You know, have these you know really great rock and roll looks, right? So I think we tried to kind of just hide who we were and just let the music speak for itself and not make us you well, know part of it. Speak for itself. It blasted out of the radio. It was something really special, and you should be proud of it. But I don't think absolutely. I don't think people didn't know Dexter was smart. I mean, there was a history of 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 there's here's my thing about music. There's no Doctors of physics in 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 uh, glam bands in the eighties <laughs> poofter bands of Sunset Strip. He teaches physics at UCLA. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, but, yeah. But I can tell you who the college professors are in rock music: Greg from Bad Religion, Dexter. Yeah, you know, the, Phil Alvin taught taught math at Long Beach State. Yep, Phil was a math well, teacher. Phil, I didn't know that. Yeah, Phil is a, Phil is a genius. Like the reason why he's kind of weird is because he's so smart. You you know how so smart people are just weird. Yeah, so, I'm I'm in a band with one. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, how about then, Milo? Milo from the Descendants too is uh, got yeah, a yeah Milo too. I forgot that chemistry so or something. This thing about Phil. So Phil, De I was a huge Blasters fan, and I was at, they were shooting a video. We're literally on La Brea and Sunset in this storefront. They're doing the Blasters video of a song they wrote with John Cougar Mellencamp called Colored Light. It's a pop song. It's trying to get them over the hump. You know, you got to understand at this time, the hugest fans of the Blasters were, were like Freddie Mercury and John Cougar Mellencamp and Willie Nelson, they're all championing wow. this band that nobody wants will buy one record of. So everybody's trying to help. So John Cougar writes this song called Colored Lights, and then it's going to be a video. You know, this is like 84, probably. And we're sitting there, and they literally have the same dancers from the Pat Banatar video. We all... You know, young, heartache, uh, heartache. <laughs> stand, oh God. In the same fucking outfit, uh, doing a dance sequence to the colored lights with the blasters playing in the corner. Oh, man. And I'm sitting there with Phil, and I'm kind of drunk, and I go, dude, why don't you stop this? This is fucking insanity. And he goes, well, you know, I just always play the odds. I just, I just have math. And, like, 
If I threw a fit right now, I could influence the outcome of this video by maybe 5 or 10%. But then I would alienate the record company and the, and the people here, and I would get the reputation as a bad person. So it's just not worth what you want me to do, which is throw a fit and say, fuck this and fuck the dancers and get them out of here and let's just be a rock and roll band. I would only make the video maybe 10% better. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Even in the in the context of being a rock star and throwing a fit and being a prima donna, he's measuring math equations wow. as to what the outcome of that would be. <laughs> you know, I, I just had a I just had a thought, and that is, you know, like when the punk rock stuff was first happening, there was so little money in it that you didn't have to like adopt a thing. Like I remember, like when the knack happened, all sorts of knack bands popped up because they wanted in on the money. The record companies wanted in on the money. You also had a bunch of bands that were like hair bands that were all of a sudden out of work. And so they were putting together bands. They were cutting their hair and putting together bands that sounded like the other bands that were making money. There was a, like, I remember the Chili Peppers spawning when they first, long before Limp Blood Biscuit. Sugar. Limp they were, Biscuit. Limp Biscuit. They were yeah, okay. Limp Biscuit. But like, then nine, when, nine, like early 90s. Possible. Let's let's trace it. Maybe Offspring's responsible for. I'm trying to think of the bands that came, that came because they're really the what I always think they're copying is those breaks. You guys had the break, right. you know what I mean? And yeah. then started over. That's the, what I think Offspring invented. Da 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 da. Bang. That's, yeah. that's that's our freaky our our singer is the songwriter and, and he's he's a math major he was a math major before he was pre-med and then when he when he went on to get his you know degree in genetics but uh that's the math stuff i think you know the breaks you so, know yeah, i think so funny, yeah yeah the funny story when i got to know maynard from tool when i was working at millie's because he ate there every day um i said how's the record coming because i'd heard he'd been making a record for like three years and he goes he goes it's really hard. And I said, I said, eh, I've made a bunch of records. It's not that hard. And he goes, no, have you ever heard my band? And I said, well, to be honest with you, no, I have. I've heard a lot of good things about it, though. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Suck up. And he didn't even miss a beat. He just goes, it's like Rush, and I know you like Rush. It's like Rush on 78 speed. And that, that immediately yeah, made me want to hear Tool. If the singer describes it as Rush on 78 speed and how hard it is to write words and lyrics and melody to that, I want to hear that music. And then I heard it and I knew what he was talking about. It's pretty complicated. <laughs> yeah, very, very math rock. They're, they got a lot of math rock going on. That's yeah. one thing about Dexter uh, when he writes. He, he writes from the music. Of, he just loves songs. He, so he wants to write a good song. He doesn't want to make it you know, math right. I think what what happens is he just subtracts, you know, he adds and subtracts, and that's where the breaks are, the subtraction. And and I think, you know, plus, you know, like what is Miles Davis's famous quote about, you know, it's it's the notes you don't play that are as yeah, important yeah. as is what you do play, you know. So it's just you know, a lot of it's common sense. And then just also he writes the songs that he feels too, you know. Right. And so so the so uh, just that it along comes these bands that put these breaks in songs. I don't know if Ed Sheehan's done it, but Carrie Underwood, Carrie Underwood definitely let the beat drop. Yeah. So now, now look at the hybrid mutation that I believe you can trace back to offspring. The, the song just stops silence. 
Okay, here we go again. Almost <laughs> all songs nowadays do that. Billie Eilish does it. All these bands, because they grew up with that as a part of the musical vocabulary. Okay, you go, 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 and yeah, and go, 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 go. Stop. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's in every song now. Well, we invented it, so we should get some <laughs> some kind of money for that. And well, you just do them. <laughs> no, it's called the rest, and they have them in regular music too. Oh, no, no, we, we, line. We, no, 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 invented it. <laughs> we also came up with the Middle Eastern scale. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Invented that. So, so Good for you. You never, had, you never had any heroin addicts in your band? You know what? No, we, we drink. We like, we like drinking. That's, that's well, been our, like our thing. Like but that's an excellent question, Bob. Like yeah. Pennywise-level drinking or like moderate uh, alcoholism? Well, I mean, Fletcher's <laughs> quit drinking for years at a time, and, and I, I'll do that as well whenever, whenever it, it, it gets bad. Uh, you know, and I wake up more days hungover than not. It's time to, to take a break. And so I'll just kind of put it behind me for a little you, while. You know, and that was one of the things I was going to was gonna touch on is like when I first started, when Noodles and I were first friends, he was in a non-drinking part where I didn't know he, I thought he might be a sober person. And it's no, when, just I like, first, no. when I first met you, I was drinking, but I, I took a break shortly after. You I remember going, me. we went to the TSOL show and I was drinking. I was drinking Tall Boys that night. So okay, but, uh, but yeah. you were like, "I'm just going to take a year off," and I'm like, "Oh man, I hate this yeah. guy." He can just take a year off. People always ask me, or ask Chuck, or ask now Mike too. What is an alcoholic, right? So to yeah. me, it's always the same. Whenever alcohol becomes more important than your interpersonal relationships, your work and passion. <laughs> Your hobbies and interests, when alcohol becomes your hobbies and interests, when you don't care about your, the quality of your work anymore, when you don't care about your marriage or family, your relationships with your friends, you're an alcoholic. If you can drink excessively and it doesn't affect any of those things, you're just a fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've passed that point. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I knew that I was going to have a problem with this when I was when I was a teenager, you know, and five of us would get a case of beer, right? And we we're going to split the case of beer. I would know, okay, we each get four, but some of us are going to get like one more, right? You know, or we each get five, but some of us are going to, four of us are going to get six, you know, if, or, or how, I don't know. I knew I would, was going to make sure that I was going to be one of the guys that didn't miss out on those, those whatever the odd number of beers were left after we all had. An even so you number. Can what, you can do what Mike Mart used to do in those circumstances, which is, you know, get everyone to pitch in for the case. And then hide them all. Then everybody takes their first, first beer, and they're having fun talking, smoking cigarettes, and all of a sudden Mike is gone with the rest of the beer. <laughs> I used to grab them out of the refrigerator and hide them all over the place, man. So then I'd have them, you know, like under the couch, over here by the planter. You know, I'd have one over in the kitchen, underneath the dish. Yeah. You know what it was like to be in a band with Mike Martin? The greatest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it was like? No, he's just going to give him my He sure does play good guitar, though. I mean, you got to give it up for that. He was yeah. Listen, man, Bob, Bob likes to think of himself as like... I was as like, the as leader like, of the band. That, that we, that, that, that Top Jimmy was somehow uh, influenced. <laughs> Bob was like a culture club <laughs> no, clone, man. Mike Bob... Martin. 
wanted to be Boy George. That's the, that's the truth of it all, right there. He wanted to sound like he didn't go through a Boy George phase where I so was obsessed with him. What I don't, he was what, lucky to have me. I was a rough. What I don't get at all with you guys is the the love for Sammy Hagar. I just I don't get it. Oh, see, you grew up on punk rock. You did, you weren't around there for the early seventies. Oh. I remember Montrose, uh, you Montrose know, before before he was singing. Yeah, Montrose yeah. was so great. Uh, totally, Montrose was great. Fucking Montrose was great. In fact, Noodles, I'm going to do a tribute band called Martros. Nice. Uh, Two T's. I love it. it. So you got to understand, I, when Montrose came out with 73, <laughs> I was 12 years old. In Circus Magazine, it proclaimed them the American Led Zeppelin. And I was like... <laughs> Oh my God! We have our own Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Literally, it was, it was because anything in a magazine was true. And well, back so, then it was. So then uh, I started telling people at school, like, "Dude, there's an American Led Zeppelin." I just I started repeating what I read. There's oh. an American Led Zeppelin. Then I finally got the record, and they got their shirts off, and I go, it is like Led Zeppelin. Because <laughs> <laughs> we knew that Robert Plant never wore a shirt. Now, these all, all four right. of these guys don't wear shirts. Didn't all he wear, a, like, a vest or a blouse that just was open in front, right? <laughs> and it was a blouse, yes. Yeah. And, and Montrose, I liked Ronnie. I like Ronnie Montrose. You know, I like to fucking love just slide guitar playing and shit. It was just like fucking rock and roll with a slide guitar yeah, on. The guitar playing. The, just the riff. Uh, riff Carmesi, listen, you go to any any band <laughs> who's in the elderly category, of which I think Offspring is getting close to that elderly. I'm, 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 only, like a, I'm only like a year or two younger than you, Bob. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, get this. Anybody who's in the because because Chad Smith does this. And so if you're playing for an audience your age, if you if you're doing the drum solo and you just go boom boom pop boom pop boom boom pop boom boom everybody knows you're playing Rock Candy's intro. The whole crowd starts right. together. That is the greatest drum intro ever. Led Zeppelin doesn't have one that good. But anyways, so that my love of Montrose and then I didn't like I didn't like once he got to be a sellout, but I did like his first three solo albums, which which was nine on a ten scale, Sammy Hagar, nine on a ten scale, and and Red, and Red is this is the album that I was so obsessed with because it comes out at a time where I'm drinking and driving quite frequently every day, All right. drinking and driving. It has a song called Cruising and Boozing, encouraging drunk driving. Oh, uh, I, I didn't know that. Song. More punk rock is there than that? Though, I didn't. <clears throat> I, the, the, the only song I wrote lyrics to, uh, uh, the only Offspring song, is called DUI, and it's all about uh, drinking and driving. Uh, and <laughs> Good uh, for that's you. A, yeah. Is that so, a, a personal saga? Uh, yeah, I was, yeah, I used, I was hanging out with Dexter a lot. I'd go to his house and drink and then drive to my place in Tustin. This is terrible. I, I shouldn't, you know, I'm not proud of this, but. I would I'd literally try to see how fast I could go on the freeway at two in the morning, you know, after a couple There's of beers, a few beers. What's that? Where's he from? Fullerton? He's in, uh, he's in Huntington beach. This was, oh, okay. this was, I was an adult. This was after, this was like, I guess, right when we were making oh, our, when you were a kid. our third record. No, no, I was in my thirties <laughs> when I wrote it. 
Oh, yeah. I was way old enough to know better. Yeah. Mike, here's well, if you're wondering whether you're an alcoholic, let's just go around the around the horn here. Mike, when did you get your first DUI? When you were 13? I don't know, but I got three of them. My third one, on my third one, on my third one, they were going to send me to like prison for a year and a half or something like that, and I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" So I started shooting heroin. <laughs> Chuck, how old were you when you got your first DUI? I got my first. Two when I was 19 and 19 and a half. <laughs> yeah, so I got And then I got a third. One. I got my first one when I was 15 in Huntington Beach at Heil and, 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 and Springdale in the, uh, on my moped. I got drunk moped riding. <laughs> so I think noodles. I think you're just either a late bloomer or you got to. <laughs> you're not. You're a wood. senior. You're a senior yeah. citizen. I don't think late it's bloomer. in the cards for you. Glad you came by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I still. I, I. I mean, I did drink and drive in, in the past, you know, but I guess I didn't do it enough because I still haven't got one yet. Knockwood. Well, so. I, I always tell this story about my dad. So my dad was a great man. He's my all-time hero and. He always drank at this bar down the street from our house. And I would go there after basketball practice because I knew he was there. So it was only like, you know, half a mile to walk there. So I would walk from basketball practice after school. And I would go in there and I would sit with him. He'd be at the bar with his friends drinking or whatever. And I'd get peanuts or whatever and eat. And Mike and I have talked about this. They had some food like hot dogs or whatever. And I would be in the bar, you know, one under 21. Me and my dad get in the car and he's so drunk, he's kind of stumbling to the car. And he gets in, and I get in the front seat, and we get pull on the Highway 111, and he's really swerving. I'm like, Dad, and I'm grabbing the steering wheel, and he goes, okay, you just do it. And I sat next to him. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and he oh, was, man. He was working the pedals, and I was steering, and we got pulled over by the Highway Patrol. And so the guy goes, God damn it, Idy, why are you out in the road this drunk? And my dad goes, well, I, you know, I was trying to get, pick up Bobby at basketball practice. It's Bobby's fault. <laughs> so he goes, he goes, God damn it, I need to get out of the car. So my dad gets out of the car. I'm sitting there like I've watched Highway Patrol with Broderick Crawford. And, and then the guy comes around to my side and goes, come on, Bobby, get in my car. And so and my dad gets in the front seat with the Highway Patrolman. I get in the back seat. And the and his his deputy drives our car home. Wow! And because everyone knew where everyone lived, <clears throat> then they get out of the car. The, the, the highway patrolman walks in and starts scolding my mom for allowing my dad to drive. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of her fault if you think about it. Yeah. She, she kind of so had that coming. We've come a long way in our knowledge oh, about alcoholism man. and drunk driving and just. 50 years. Think about that. So let's get back to our guest because I think he's come on here for help. I, noodles, I also think you're a little, little <laughs> noodles, what I'm trying to see now. You're, you're not wrong. So what I'm trying to see though, you kind of have missed the sobriety boat also. Like the fun time to be sober as a musician was like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna come to a, a crashing halt sooner or later. You know, one of these times, I'm gonna quit. Not just for a few months, but for good. You know. Yeah. I fear. I fear it. 
Yeah. No, but I mean, yeah. you really should have gotten on the sober thing when everything was riding high in the Learjets. That would have been great. I was sober when we flew up to Fresno, actually. Yeah, I, I wasn't okay. drinking that night. So. Yeah, I was in, yeah. So. Were you sober on the way home? Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I, that was a, I was a, I was in the. I took a couple months off in the beginning of the year. I was supposed to take ninety days off. We were in tour in South America, and everything was falling apart, and shows were getting canceled. We went down to do seven shows. We did one and got sent home. Uh, this was just uh, beginning of March. I got home. I was one of the last flights. I had to fly through Lima on my way home from Santiago, Chile, and I was like the second to the last flight from Lima to Los Angeles. A bunch of people got stuck down there. How long did it take you to get through? Did they coronavirus test you at the airport when you came through? No, I, I have never gotten through customs quicker. It was crazy at in LAX. I, I, all the corona infected people in. <laughs> seriously, just blew through. I don't know if they were testing flights from Asia a little bit more. You know, you know, checking them more thoroughly. I just came from South America and I blew through. It was it was Dude, the quickest I've ever gotten through. Are you a conspiracy theory guy? Because I got a good conspiracy for you. I I I really hate conspiracy theories. You know, I have you know, I have a. I figured you were friends yeah. with the Blink One Eighty Two guy. You live in the same neighborhood, don't you? Uh, I, I'm I'm friendly with them. I don't know them that well. Well, Tom, right? Tom's the yeah. yeah I'm, not yeah. A, I'm not a big fan of his conspiracy theories. I like Tom. No, I'm He's gonna, a good guy. I'm going to blow your minds right now. This is something I just learned okay. last week. Okay. Uh -oh. There was no department uh -oh. of homeland. <laughs> there was no department of homeland security prior to nine eleven. Right? right? It was invented as a result of 9-11. Okay, I want to tell you something. So the regular population has to go through all that nightmare. It's billions of dollars in cost. It's a whole nother half a million people employed in non-essential work, right? All you got to do is lock the cabin door of the pilot's place. You don't have to search every person. Right. right? So get this. Guess who don't get searched? Private jets, private Lear jets, private planes going to Europe. They I'm aware. Searched. I've been on them. <laughs> I've been yeah. on them. There's yeah. no security. So don't you think somebody like Bin Laden, with all his billions of dollars, if he wanted to do it again, he would just do it in private planes? Isn't he dead? I don't think he's blowing anybody up now. Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> um, he's, I, I don't, he's pretty dead, you know, Mike. Good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> All right, so so you're sitting at home, right? And and you you're you're making these little videos on 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 uh, on your computer because you know everybody's locked down and they got nothing better to do than to sit on the fucking computer and look at these stupid videos made by you in your bedroom and shit about the conspiracy theories. And that's where it all starts. I'm not I'm not saying it's a, I'm saying it's a way of scaring people and keeping their, them in their place. That's all. And it's, it, it doesn't keep you safer. You're not safer because of the Department of Homeland Security. You're not. You're safe because of the Secret Service, the CIA, and the American military. They know what's going on. But this whole All new right. department. Well, I'm with Noodles. I'm not. I'm well, not into the conspiracy. But I'm not saying. I'm saying it's right out in the open. You're not. How if if every person going on a plane should be searched? How come the private planes aren't? Searched? Who fucking cares? Well, I think the deal with with uh, with uh, when you have a a plane that has you know a couple hundred you know civilians in it, and you take that and you crash it into a 
a building, that's that's way more terrorizing than somebody taking a Learjet and, and doing it, I, I think. think. In this day and age, I mean, when and you also, into- if you're rich enough to have a fucking Learjet, why would you want to fucking fly it into the ground? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Those people don't want to fly it in the ground. They got everything going for them. They got a fucking Learjet. <laughs> It's like shark shark attacks. You you hear about one shark attack and every like you know half the population are oh I'm never going in the water again. You know people didn't want to fly. People did not want to get on jets after that. It's terrifying. I've been in the ocean a lot, and I think you guys have. I don't surf, but I do love swimming in the ocean. I swam in the ocean two days ago. I have been in a wave body surfing up in a wave and seen a shark bigger than me right next to me in the water. They're not trying to bite me. They're not trying to eat me. But you were skinny. You were skinny then, right? If you were fat, it might have thought you were a seal like back in the olden days. It might have thought, hey, look at that. (laughs) 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 I really, I believe there's a lot more sharks in the water, especially the warmer waters we have nowadays. In front of my house is like a million whales. There's just whales. They're just partying out there all day long. It's, 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 I have a question, Noodles. Okay, sure. Is there one of those gigs that you can talk about where somebody got drunk in the band and just fucking ruined the whole gig? It would, it would have been me. And uh, <laughs> but, but no, there's been some sloppy shows. There was one time nice. we played uh, right after Smash was taken off. We played with L7 in Rennes, France, and uh, and I got really sloppy. I think it was a big festival, too. And I heard the recording the next day, and it was it was embarrassing, but but we held it together enough to get through it. You know, it wasn't a full-on train wreck. I'm, I was horrified by it. But. Now, did you get the whole band shame thing? Uh, they just laughed at me. You know, they, they played it back. Like, like I said, if, if it would have been a full-on train wreck. you for that Yeah, shit. no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh, oh my! Oh, not just once. It happened a hundred times. Not once. <laughs> okay. well, I'll tell you one thing. I've seen Pennywise probably more than any Epitaph band. I've never seen Fletcher not play right. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. It's crazy. I've seen him be so drunk. Like how is I? I went to the sports arena one time. And it was like this. There was like four bands opening, and the second band was on, and he was so drunk. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is finally going to be a Thelonious Monster thing." I, I can just feel it. He got up there, he just fucking played his songs, doesn't give a fuck, doesn't fuck it up, plays them exactly right. How does that guy do that? I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's always very impressive. Whenever you I, can tell, I you can tell that. with him though by what he says in between the songs. For sure, yeah. Well, Fat, Fat Mike is another one. He's been he's been doing a lot of drinking and a lot of other stuff too. In between, uh, you know, and and their shows are almost yeah, like comedy routines. Fat, you know? Mike, Fat Mike doesn't play all. It's not complicated what he's playing. I mean, he can it's not fast. play and still sound all right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's pretty fast. Good. But Chuck disagrees. Is Fat Mike I, playing stuff that's essential to the song? No, I think he's he's a he's an an accomplished player and he plays really fast. I think he's just got I, muscle memory. Yeah. But no, but I've seen him. I did the warp tour with him. Like Thelonious, not Thelonious. Yep, yeah. Thelonious Monster did the warp tour. Of course, Mike wasn't it. Yeah. You were in it, Mike. And no effect. So I saw them like 10 times, eight times. And, and there were times where he just has his hands up and he's just like in another world. He's not playing. Huh? Yeah. He's adjusting his dress more. That's more important than, than hitting the right <laughs> note on the bass, I think, at times. So. Well, all you guys do... That's an ugly woman. 
you can just strum the bottom E. I mean, I've been I played with a lot of bass players, so I've I've had some of the greatest bass players in the world playing Thelonious Monster: Norwood Fisher, Flea, uh, Rob Graves, Martine, and then I've had some people that can barely play bass. It basically sounds the same. <laughs> oh, listen a lot. Of, hey, listen. Oh, oh, oh man. No, you, oh, you, uh, no, it's not. It's not because they're not adding. It just sounds the same because the songs are very simple. <laughs> I saw Martine with uh, with um, Porno for Pyros at a festival in Germany, oh, so where awesome. he just stopped playing and started peeing. Huh. It was all peeing. <laughs> He was practicing social distancing back then. He was ahead of his time. He didn't want to get any close to anybody in the bathroom. Right <laughs> yeah. So here's, a, here's the last thing I'll say about Offspring and what you must have gone through and my just outside watching it and seeing a very similar thing of my generation of musicians. It seemed to me like Epitaph is a family. It didn't seem like there was a lot of jealousy or infighting. There was a lot of support and excitement. And I saw when Green Day came on the scene, everyone's very excited. Like, this is going to move it forward. That whole what era that you guys were in, I didn't see it as competitive and mean-spirited, just like we weren't competitive and mean-spirited back in the mid-'80s. It really, it really was... God, if it's good for them, it's good for us. That's how I always felt. Generally speaking, that, that's how it was. Yeah, unfortunately, our, you know, our, our relationship with the, with Brett and the and the label kind of went south after after all the success. I think it you know got a little bit of heady for for all of us. But. You shouldn't feel bad. I was there in the middle of it. He was getting offers. Ungod- I kept saying, just take it. What are you kidding me? Just sell it to Virgin for fifty million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Care. At a certain point, the music business gets so crazy in numbers. But I'm saying that I don't think that Mike or, or Tim Armstrong or other people were jealous or en- envious. I think it was the same thing. Like, once I accepted the Chili Peppers were the biggest band in the world, I was like, this can't be bad for me. Plus, I can borrow money from them all the time. So, <laughs> so all right. I would hey, like to hear that. Hey, Noodles, if you ever can't control yourself and you need to go to rehab, you can come to my place. It's like a 30-day vacation. I've had friends that have, that have sworn they just would check into rehabs because they loved it. You know, it's like a vacation. It's probably a very, it's, it's a safe place to be right now. Really, it's, it's a safer place to be than to be out on the street. It's very safe. We take every, we take every staff member's temperature when they're coming to work. They have to stay in the quarantine area and get their temperature checked. We have antibody tests. We're testing every employee. It's pretty safe. I would say safest right. place to be is Aloe Treatment Center. Nice. <laughs> No, I've seen posts from people that are like, man, I'm really glad to be in this luxury rehab because this is the safest place to be, to tell you the truth. Hey, Noodles, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for coming on here being such a good sport. You're the greatest, bro. I I really do enjoy the podcast. Well, you guys are doing, you know, great things, I think, you know, just getting people to think about how they're living their lives and and trying to keep people from dying. And that's a, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, right? So, and it's funny. You guys are fucking funny motherfuckers. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It shows. It shows for sure. It's fun. Thanks, Noodles. Hey, I'll see yeah, you down in Sunset, man. So, yep. All right, man. I'll there. see you guys. That's oh, it. You All right. Orange, you fucking Orange County people keep talking amongst yourself. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go get some dinner, too. Bye. Later, guys. <laughs> see you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Don't die, anybody. <laughs>
Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die podcast. We've got 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Allo Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live, but first and foremost, don't die. 